the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a wonderful show for you today. I'm very exciting about the guests that we're having in this half hour of the show. Is Ken Krimstein wrote a book, When I Grow Up. This is a graphic, a series of graphic novelettes based on uh, Yiddish compositions that were found recently. I'm thinking recently, we reported it in the news, I think 2018, 2017, it was, they were found. And he turned them into something really awesome. And we're going to talk about that today. The second half hour of the show will feature um, insights into the portion of Teruma, which can be found in Exodus 26 and following. Got a lot of good music for you. We're starting Adar this week, and it says, Mishinichnos Adar Marbin Besimcha. When Adar comes in, we've got two months of Adar this year. It's a leap year, so you have two months in the lunar, lunar calendar to make sure that Passover is in the spring, and so we double increase the joy. Great Hasidic story. I've told it before, but it's one of my favorites. All the way at the end, before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> Israeli police cracked an Arab racketeering ring that was terrorizing Israeli Arab neighborhoods. 243 people were arrested. Hundreds of guns and other weapons were seized along, seized along with other over $6 million in cash. The United States requested Israel to serve as a mediator in diplomatic efforts to prevent a major rift between the U.S. and Russia. Israel is working behind the scenes to defuse tensions between the U.S. and Russia amid a simmering border crisis between Russia and Ukraine. It's all very hush-hush. Just it happens that the news media is reporting it, but it's, it's on the slide. 
Israeli ministries met to plan possible airlifts of Ukrainian Jews if Russia does attack the Ukraine. We don't say the Ukraine anymore. It attacks Ukraine. It is estimated that close to 75,000 Jews are currently living in eastern Ukraine. Israel, in other news, Israeli President Itzhak Herzog will make a first-ever state visit to the United Arab Emirates this week. The president will visit the Crown Prince of the Emirates and visit Abu Dhabi and Dubai. The United States is Israel's largest trade partner, receiving over $16 billion of Israeli exports. Israel receives the greatest amount of goods from China at $10 billion and with the U.S. imports of $8 billion. In an effort to control its stock price from tanking, Unilever, the mother company of Ben & Jerry's ice cream, spun off that division hoping to avoid further repercussions from anti-BDS laws. Six states divested Unilever stock from their portfolios, causing Unilever to lose $26 billion in stock worth. An earthquake of 4.1 and aftershock of 3.5 were felt just north of short south of Tiberias. No injuries or damage were reported. It snowed in Jerusalem this week, eight inches in Jerusalem, and the melt-off is causing tremendous floods in the uh, Jerusalem in the uh, Jordan Tidal Basin. Stay tuned for that. But uh, the Canaret is going to be no problem this year. And finally, in some really good news, the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston will return the 1646 painting, that's the year it was painted, View of Berevik by Salman van Rysdale to the heirs of a Jewish collector from whom the painting was stolen during the Holocaust. The painting will be auctioned in April and is expected to sell for between five and $7,000. And Rysdale's pretty cool. They have a Rysdale down at the DIA called the Jewish Cemetery. It's one It's in one of my favorite paintings down there. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. I have on the line now, we have on the line now, Mr. Ken Crimson, who is the author of When I Grow Up, The Lost Autobiographies of Six Yiddish Teenagers. Mr. Crimson has published cartoons in the New Yorker magazine and elsewhere. He is the author of this is his third book, and it's a real honor for us to have him. How are you today, Ken? I'm good, thank you. That's good, thank you. That's great. Thank you so much. Okay, this that I have when I grow up is an amazing 
book. I mean, my wife was jumping up and down when, when we got this, and the the review team just like passed it right through. And, and oh. here we and here we are. And uh, tell it the the backstory behind the book is yeah. is really something. It's it's a tearjerker in itself. They could make a movie just about the introduction. So <laughs> tell yeah. it. Tell us. Tell us. Well, a, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I will. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much, and thanks to your wife. Um, so, uh, yeah, there are many backstories to this book. There's a universal backstory, and then there's a personal backstory. But um, in the in the 1930s, uh, in Eastern Europe, uh, there was a um, a organization called YIVO, Y-I-V-O, and this was kind of the uh, if you will, I called it the university without laws for the Yiddish-speaking world. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, YIVO still exists, does it not? Yes, it does. It, it, it exists it, it, as, as, a, as a result of these events that moved to New York City. Uh, and again, I can't totally get into it, and it's still doing very well, thanks very much, in New York City. Um, and uh, they have uh, outposts in many cities. But anyways, uh, in, during the 1930s, YIVO, which um, I kind of coined or made up the name of yiddish if you will, which connoted the, you know, 8 million or so, many, many millions of uh, Eastern European Jews that extended from sort of Riga and Latvia down to Crimea, east and west, that spoke Yiddish. So YIVO was responsible for this. And they were um, trying to collect a lot of materials on the Jewish communities of all these countries and do scientific studies and all this. And one of the things they came up with is, let's do a social studies, you know, uh, uh, that'll talk about our civilization, our community. And to do this in what I call, you know, the brilliance of these scholars, let's talk to the youth, as they call them, the teenagers, we call them now. And so they made this uh, essay contest, if you will, autobiography contest, and they got during the 1930s, and, and they offered a prize of 150 zlotys, which I've tried to figure out how much that is, but it, it's not insignificant. I think you could probably have had an apartment in Warsaw for a year on that. But in any case, they also had another brilliant idea. They said teens will not write in and tell the truth about their lives if uh, their parents can find out who they are. So we'll do an anonymous entry, and we'll code it so that whoever wins can win. So fast forward, over the 1930s, uh, they received uh, almost 800 essays in, written in pen, pencil, you know, whatever, from teenagers, anonymous teenagers all over Yiddishuania. Well, the day that the big prize was to be awarded by YIVO was September 1st, 1939, which is a, a, a tragic and horrible day. That was the very day that the Nazis invaded um, Poland. And it really started World War II. And these documents were lost. Uh, some of them emerged via the, the monument men after the war. But many were hidden by this group that, um, in an excellent book uh, by David Fishman called The Book Smugglers, they called them the Paper Brigade. And they, in Vilna, Vilnius, they hid a lot of these documents. They didn't know where they were. And believe it or not, uh, like about five years ago, four years ago, a whole 180,000 pages were found hidden in a decommissioned old church. And the minute I found out about this and I found out about the autobiographies, 
I, I felt that I needed to try and, you know, well, somebody from Evo I spoke to, they said, get to Vilnius, you know, and I had people, you know, they've been archived very well, and I had them translated, and I had to try and make the stories of these anonymous teenagers, and this is before the war, you know, and and, and, and describe their lives at mm -hmm. that moment. Ken, let me just jump in over here. So let's go back a little bit with you personally. What was your interest in this? I can understand if you were, say, working for YIVO, and this was like this Yiddish find, and they've been finding over the years. Uh, we, we reported here on the uh, on the Jewish Hour every time, and we did report that the uh, the find in the church, and we had the yeah. author. Uh, we had David David on the, uh, the oh, author yeah. of the, the the Monument Men on the show when Book Christopher came out. What's what's yeah. your what's your angle on it? <laughs> well, there's a couple. You know, um, I. I was raised in Chicago. I'm Jewish. Um, I've, uh, but I didn't really know my own heritage. Um, and, you know, now I lived in New York for a long time, and I moved back here, and there was a talk being given at a synagogue about this, so I went. I'm also a graphic novelist and a historian, so I was quite honestly looking for a, a, a topic, and I, was, I thought I'd do one, you know, uh, person. You know, I was looking for... But when it came to this thing... I felt as if a, a world that I didn't know, like, you know, my mother's mother, we called her my Bubby, and these were first generation, and I would say to them when I was a little kid, you know, where did we come from? Where did we come from? Ah, uh, you know, I don't know, Russia. You don't want to know. You don't want to. But I'm a curious person, and I'm, I'm historically minded, and so this was a way for me to connect, and, and as it turns out, my mom has subsequently told me that my great I don't know. My great grandmother, I guess, comes from from uh, from Vilna, as it as it was called then. So, it was a way of me connecting in many ways to a, a world that I didn't even really know about. It was a voyage of discovery, but it also I wanted to talk about uh, a, an event in history which is just beyond comprehension, and uh, but in a new way because these are teenagers and they're writing about their lives and the the war and you know the holocaust and all this isn't even on their radar because you know as a person who writes about history history you know i read a great quote history is what happens on a rainy thursday afternoon like you don't notice it sometimes and yet we now know what happened but these people at this time they could see hints of it there were clouds this and that but they were teens you know i've raised teens i've been a teen and i thought this is the story that will make people understand that these were this is a different way of talking about a vital civilization and dimensionalizing if you will both the horrors and uh, the possibilities you know because there you know although they were anonymous a slight spoiler alert you know in the book we know one person survives and that's an amazing story anyway and and you know i hope and i pray that some of the others survive but it's been very hard to find them Indeed. Our guest today is Ken Crimson. We're talking about a graphic, I guess a series, you can call it a graphic novel. Could we call it a bunch of graphic novelettes, maybe? But <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, call it whatever you want. I mean, it's always tricky to define it. Yeah, it's a graphic um, narrative, nonfiction novelette, yes. Okay, When I Grow right. Up, The Lost Autobiographies of Six Yiddish Teenagers. And we're talking about this and uh, th this what it is a mon monumental thing about it. So the so th there's a you you mentioned that when you went to uh, went to Vilna, 
and you finally uh, got your hands on this. How, how's your Yiddish, by the way? Uh, do you read Yiddish? Abyssal. Abyssal. <laughs> uh, that means you know, a little bit. I can, I can sort of, you know, Yiddish, like I can, sound, I can sound out the words because it's like Hebrew, but it's very, uh, it, you know, it's on my to-do list to get better at it, you know. But I had a great translator, Ellen Cassidy, and the people in Vilnius were very, very helpful. I did a lot of reading about Yiddish culture, and, you know, as I said, my grandmother, my bubby spoke, that she used to speak it, and I'd kind of overhear it uh, it's, and try and figure it out. But I did dive pretty deeply into the Yiddish um, in translation from that period. And, um, you know, I love reading in his, the historical work in there. There's an amazing um, uh, Jewish uh, woman writer, Lucy Davidovich, who wrote many, many uh, books about uh, Eastern Europe, and she was actually in Vilma in 1939. She was an American, so she could get out, and she wrote an incredible uh, book from this place and time. So I learned about this vibrant culture. Yeah, and, and it was fantastic, and it fueled my understanding, but I also learned a lot of things that really connected to me, like, you know, my grandfather uh, ran movie theaters uh, in, in that time. And uh, they had movie theaters there, and the movies that they were showing that some people saw, you know, some of the secular people would go see had Clark Gable and Betty Davis and Edward G. Robinson, and they were listening to music and Benny Goodman. And so there was a, was a wide-ranging culture, and when I went to, to, to Vilna, uh, I actually went to the one surviving synagogue. I happened to be there over the high holidays, and it was... Uh, they call it the choral synagogue in those in those days, and it, it survived. And uh, it's next to what was the Jewish hospital, and survived because it was outside the walls of the of the Vilna ghetto. And a lot of that stuff is still standing, you know. And yeah, it was just an incredible uh, project to to reconnect to, you know, my understanding as an American Jew, as a person who lives in this time of the of the vibrant culture in what I call Yiddish Lithuania or Eastern Europe, you know, extending from Poland all the way over, is somewhat limited. Uh, it was, but, you know, I'm, I'm rabbiting on here a bit, but I, I did some more research and found out that where my parents grew up when they were little kids in Chicago and, you know, um, in the area of Douglas Park, before the war was virtually the same as uh, these cities in, in Europe. And it, and it, it just did. It was another way of, of connecting uh, myself to this, um, to this story. And then since I draw as well as write, because I've always been a cartoonist, um, I could inhabit it and bring it to life on the page in a way that maybe just words alone wouldn't be able to do it. And that's why I went there. Okay. Draw. Amazing. Okay, so what... what uh Sort of was was one of my my wow moments in, in reading the the introduction was when you went there and you oh. saw the you were talking with the the, uh, the, the librarian yeah. the archivist and the question that you asked and the response that yeah. she gave could you please tell yeah. us that yeah please? well th this was in, this was incredible um, so we, I get there it's hot and you know but the the library is nice and it's air conditioned and they're sitting on a desk. You know, I've flown halfway around the world. Our little notebooks that look like, I don't know, like the old school blue book notebooks we used to take tests in. There's a little stack of them. Go, and she said, take a look. 
and I pick it up and I open it. And obviously, you know, you read it, you know, um, from the back to the forward and I'm looking at it and I turn to the, to the archivist and I said, how many people, you know, have, have, have read this book, have held this book since 1939? How many people have held this? And I'm holding this with pen. And she looks at me and she says, two, you and me. I, I, I could have fallen over. I couldn't believe it. And they were all, you have to understand, each one is different, you know, because they're like a personality, even though they don't have the name on it. One person writes in ink, one person in pencil, one cover has a, you know, a map of Poland in the 30s, one is fancy. Each one, and I, I, you know, I had a lump in my throat. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, no, same, same with me. Our guest today again is Ken Crimson. He's written a book called When I Grow Up. It's the lost autobiographies of six Yiddish teenagers, graphically done. Um, that's a, meaning pictures, not anything else. To the, so what what really impressed me, Ken, was okay. So there were there were six. They they recovered six, and that means that somewhere out there, there's several hundred that didn't get recovered, which is a shame. But if you could have six polar opposites it's just like they couldn't they couldn't get more opposite one from the other and that that really floored me because a lot of people have this impression that europe before the war was like this homogenous singular mass of judaism and everybody was all the same it was all just like a shtetl and everybody was religious and doing the same thing but this is just this is very eye-opening could you talk about this ken yeah, well, I'm really happy to hear that that resonated with you because it resonated with me. And again, that's one of the, another one of those connections. Um, you know, my own family uh, has a lot of different divergent Jewish practices within it. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, this was the world in 1930. It was just like America, or just like any other place. So, when I did this, when I was looking at the people. I wanted to show some of the diversity, some of the plurality, if you will, within this community. So like you say, we have um, the very observant. Uh, I wanted to try and get a, a balance in there, too. Boy, boys and girls, an equal amount. Urban, you know, they were people that lived in cities. Uh, rural, um, maybe very observant, not so observant. Um, uh, you know, um, I don't know, political. Uh, there's a range of the political spectrum. It was extremely, uh, it was a vibrant community. And, you know, along the way, I made many discoveries as I was reading this. There were, in Lithuania and Poland, there was a, um, there was a massive yeshiva movement. M many of them, you know, the Jewish schools of, of, of learning and different flavors. But, you know, many of them made it, made it to America afterward. But there was this whole thing called Musar that I didn't know about. Then there was, um, you know, different political groups extending from, like, Paoli, Zion. And, and the other thing that struck me, here I'm inter interrupting myself, you know, because I remember what it was like to be a teenager when I first started thinking. I thought, well, yes, to a certain extent, you know, and, and I'm reading the, bio the autobiographies, and they're political. Oh, but also it's like there was a cute boy, you know, in the one, and I like the uniforms that the, the uh, you know, the um, uh, you know, the Hamot, the Hazir, I can't remember the name right now, the more religious, the more Hebrew-oriented one, but I like the people in the more Yiddish-oriented one. And so they were teens, too. These were social clubs. So 
you know, it, it's the vitality and vibrance of this world that really, really um, struck me. And, and, I, and I thought it would break down the barrier that people might have because of this monolithic uh, vision that you uh, referred to, because this was a vibrant, I keep saying that word, but it really was. It was somebody has told me it was like a renaissance. And, uh, you know, all the more tragic that there was all this, I mean, these kids, they could write. I mean, and they were truth tellers. You know, it was amazing. Indeed. You, you said before that the, the researching and getting this uh, When I Grow Up to, to Press had a, a personal slant in your own discovery. What was, what's, what was that about, Ken? Well, you know, I, um, it, you know, there were a lot of things that happened that I would say uh, were uh, serendipitous or whatever. So on the day that, that I even discovered these, uh, it was, uh, if anybody's from Chicago, they'll understand what I'm talking about. It was, a, it was a crummy Sunday, February, and I needed a Bialy. I had moved from New York, and there's a place called New York Bagel and Bialy. And I went over there, and there was a sign, and it said, talks to be given this afternoon. So I said to my wife, can we go see this? And she's, you know, at a synagogue on, on Texas. So we went, and the sign is talking and presenting this. seems very, very familiar to me, very familiar. So I went up to him. And he said, visit, you know, visit, visit, visit. And then two and two came together a few weeks later. Our parents were friends. I knew him growing up. And and this, and then, again, even when I went, went to Lithuania and I was working, these things would fall out, out of the book. One of the people that we were, that I was working on, that we thought we knew who, who, who it was, ended up being one of the people who actually ended up saving the documents. And I kept thinking, these things are, are showing up to me as I'm working on this. And like I said, I found out that my great-grandmother was from, from, from Vilma. So I kept getting pulled deeper and deeper into this um, story as I was writing it. And it, it, it was a journey that has made me uh, aware of um, a heritage uh, that I didn't even really know or appreciate, and I think it's influencing, you know, my kids and other people in my family because, you know, I've gotten very into that. So it's been a real personal uh, journey for me, and I feel strangely connected to to this. Uh, and also, it, it broke my heart, uh, you know, to think, you know, uh, how close we all are to this. To any anyone could be. To something, you know, that could ha this horrible that could happen in a in a civilized quote unquote uh, world, um, and that teens are teens and people are people and they want to live and have fun. You know, I this was the angle that I wanted to do. So I looked at their words and their pictures. Was like, because everything I did in it was researched. I mean, the phones are authentic, the clothes are authentic. I mean, the streets, everything. And and I looked I looked at this and I thought you know this is this is my world this is your world this is this is our world. Indeed, I, I have one more question for you. There was a story that sure. happened that just recently, I think maybe the day last week sometime, and I did not report it in the news because when I saw that I was having you, I wanted to bring this up and discuss it with you. And that. There is a county in Tennessee. Tennessee is one of the states has mandated Holocaust education in 8th and 11th grade, which is a wonderful thing. 
And uh, this specific county decided that they were going to get uh, remove uh, Art Spiegelman's book Mouse from the curriculum because it was like too much of the Holocaust. They they objected to the the idea that the uh, children reading it would become anxious, which is kind of sort of what you want in Holocaust <laughs> education anyway. But we're talking eastern southeastern Tennessee, so we're not going to go there per se. But what I don't know if you had heard about this, but oh yeah, yeah yes I did. Of course, as a cartoonist, I, I yeah it's, the, the the instant you know occasionally I look into social media and the instant I saw that I my, my mind just warped. Yeah, I okay. hear about it. Yeah. So now, so then I'm thinking, well, I I don't know I, I don't my question I'm still trying to formulate. I've been trying to think how am I going to formulate this question, but. Um, if they don't want mouse, what they want when I grow up, maybe? You know, I think they should have them all. I mean, I, I think they should have, they should, I mean, I don't know what the, the level of the curriculum that they're doing there is, and I don't know the full story, but um, uh, you, may, you, you, you said, I mean, I don't know how you can, look, there are terrible things that happen in the world, and I think education you know, obviously, you don't want to traumatize the people, but I think you know you have to look. I mean, I'm a, I'm a historian, and I kind of feel like if you don't get the tr- the truth of what went on, then you're going to go ahead and make the mistakes again. So, yeah, um, I mean, I read M- Mouse's to me. You know, what Spiegelman did there, and that was a personal uh, memoir. Uh, he opened he opened our eyes up using the graphic medium. Mine is another way in, but I think, you know, I don't know. I've heard that in, in Illinois, where I live now, the Holocaust education is like, in, you know, half the day. I mean, come on. It should sort of be a little bit more than that. So, yeah, whatever can get it in there. And I think, um, you know, there's an old expression that they have, and I well, you know, garbage in, garbage out. I mean, you've got to get good history. You've got to try and, you know, balance it out, have other other narratives. But this wasn't a pretty thing. You know, we live in a world that has made up of many, many different um, qualities. And I think if you're learning about the past, especially something like this, if you don't address it honestly, I mean, that, and I guess that's the question, um, you are doing a disservice to the people, you know, the, you know, you have to be a witness, as Elie Wiesel would say, you have to be a witness. So, um, and I, I don't, I hope that situation there uh, resolves itself favorably. Okay. I, again, I don't know the details of it, but mm-hmm. I tried to provide, you know, Spiegelman's father was a, a survivor. Thank, thankfully, uh, none of my immediate family, uh, you know, they had, they had gotten out earlier. Um, but this was the only way that I could legitimately be a witness to it, and I, I hope I found a way to do that. I hope that answers your question. Indeed. In fact, you, you gave a better answer than the question that I gave. That's so good. <laughs> we, we unfortunately are out of time for this segment. Our guest today is uh, Ken Crimson. The book is When I Grow Up, The Lost Autobiographies of Six Yiddish Teenagers. It is published by Bloomberry Press. 
Bloomsbury Publishing. Bloomsbury, Bloomsbury, yeah. Bloomsbury, and uh, available online or wherever you get your Jewish books from. When it can, we thank you so much for uh, for enlightening us, and we wish you continued success. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure uh, speaking to you today. Good. Take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's a symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here, listening to the Jewish Hour. We would, that was amazing. That really was amazing. I do recommend the book. And it's an easy read. It took me about, I think, an hour and a half to go through the whole thing because it is a graphic novel. So it's most of the pages picture. Uh, and it's done as, in a, very well as a graphic uh, graphic novel. Anyway, so we've got some music to listen to. This is Ari Gold. The song is called I Have Faith.
And that was Ari Gold. I have faith. I hope you like that. Up next, something a little Yiddish. We were talking about Yiddish before. This is Yisrael Leshes, which I'm not sure if this is the Yisrael Leshes that I know from Australia, but there is a Leshes family that picked itself up and moved to Muncie, so it might be him. And the call, this, the song is called A Junger Welt, which means A Young World. Ei, die Welt wird verenjinge, ohne das Leben leichte Gringe. Jeder Klager wird ein Singer, während Frieder Die Welt hat fern schöner, liebe Gräser sind kleiner. Zwischen Freuen, zwischen Männer, zwischen Land und Land. Die Welt hat fern Dresden, es fällt nicht sein am Meister. Nicht die Kräume, nicht der Teister. Nicht dem Selmeschwerd, lasst das Volk noch während Kriegen und verjogen dem Batriger in dem Flugzeug der Tiger von sein schönen Wald. Die Welt hat fern freier, freier, schöner, jüngerer. We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community. And Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 
That's 800-603-1813, or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Zinman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Uh, this next song is called Ani Yehudi, which means I'm a Jew. And this is a, this is a genre of song which is not all that that old as far as uh, the mechanics of it. I'm not sure there was a, a song out on the, that, that charted on, out on the way back when, maybe 20 years ago or so, 25 years ago. I don't remember the name of the song. I don't remember who was involved, and I don't remember what it was all about. But it, there was a whole conglomeration of, like, lots and lots and lots of of artists, and they all got to sing, like, a line, and then in, towards the end they had this chorus, and they all sang together, and it was really it was very nice. And there's been a couple of those that we've played here. So this is the next one. So this is called Ani Yehudi, I'm a Jew.
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hey, Shulfin, here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. Before we get into uh, the portion of Teruma, which is in the book of Exodus chapter 26 and following, I give a shout out to the person who does our pledge at the end of the show, and has been doing it for 26 years, and that's Jerry Liebman from Specs Howard. And uh, we want to send out a shout because the Liebmans are having a, this week, are celebrating their 68th wedding anniversary together, and we wish them many happy, very healthy, long years together. And uh, they're an amazing couple. I, I visit him, uh, almost, I try to visit him weekly, it doesn't work out that way, but... We have, uh, Jerry and I have been talking to each other for 35 years already. One of the first persons, one of the first people I actually met when I moved to Detroit. And uh, he's the reason why I'm here sitting on the airways is Specs Howard School of Broadcast. So, uh, yeah, good, only good things to the, to the Liebman family. The portion of Teruma discusses the building of the sanctuary in the desert in great detail. Later on, like about a month from now, we'll be reading the Parsha of Pekude. And in the portion of Pekude, there's repeated the details with the sum, the bottom line. How much did all this stuff cost? And, excuse me, every year I sit down with somebody and we figure out, based on today's prices, what it would cost to build the sanctuary. I don't remember what it was last year, but something was like $240 million is what it would cost to build this thing. So now, here's the question. The, the structure that was built, this thing that we call a mishkan, it was, it was portable because the Jews needed to move. They were there at the behest of the Almighty, as it says, when the cloud that was sort of like hanging over them was horizontal. They knew it was time to camp. And when it turned vertical, then it was time to move on. And they had to pack up the whole thing about how they packed up the sanctuary and what order and how things were put away. And it was a whole process by which they put this thing away and how they packed when they when they camped, how they put it back together again. Amazing. And even if they stayed only in one place in a place for one day, they packed, they unpacked and repacked. It was a massive undertaking. But they had 20,000 or so Levites to help. Well, not all of them. That was from age three. So um, they had a good couple, you know, probably about 5,000 Levites that would help with uh, putting the thing together and taking it apart. The question, though, is, well, 
what happened afterwards? What was what was what was the final result with this uh, this sanctuary? Is it got it got put away and then gone? It was replaced by the sanctuaries. True, the main part of it, the major cost, was things that were made out of gold. The ark, which contained the tablets, the menorah, the table which had the bread on it, the inner incense offer. Uh, 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 altar, so that's that's where a majority of the uh, of the funds went to because that was gold. But all the other stuff, which was that, that didn't take anything to put together. Those were put together once, and then they were just put in place. The other stuff, these boards, these boards were eighteen feet high. They probably each weighed a ton apiece. They were a dense cedar. Why go to such effort? For something which is just going to be transient. When they crossed the Jordan, most of it was Joshua put most of it away, never to be seen ever again. And after the the Mishkan at Shiloh was put away, most of that was there was what the only thing that was left was just these four items that were that I just mentioned made out of gold. Everything else gone. It's a big expense for something that's just temporary here's the deal and it's alluded to in one of the uh, one of the services which was done in the temple if a woman this is discussed in the middle of the book of uh, like chapter 6 in the book of uh, numbers maybe it's chapter 5 if a woman was suspect of adultery she was brought to the sanctuary and there was a whole process by which they took some dirt from the floor of the sanctuary, they mixed it with water, they mixed some other stuff in it, and she drank it. That was part of the process. And where'd they get the dirt from? They got the dirt from the sanctuary floor. Because while the sanctuary was standing, even the dirt, which made up the floor, the floor of the building was also holy. As soon as they packed up and moved on, the floor was no longer holy. It had they had perfected it to the best of its ability. It was now mundane again. There are things in our lives which are transient. We have them for just a short period of time. But we should know that since our goal in life, why we're put here in this world is to make a sanctuary for God, meaning a holy resting place where God can live, as it says right in the beginning of this week's portion, within you, not within it, within you, is where the sanctuary is. So don't think that just because this is a passing thing, it will, it, it, there's no chance for it to become, no, that's wrong. Everything we utilize can be utilized to make the world a better place. We are going to take a quick commercial break. We've got one of my favorite stories coming up. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep The Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, 
Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herr Schulfen, here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? Best way? You probably, if you're at Rabbi Finman, you're at the best way. And if you're listening some way else to this uh, this broadcast podcast, well, you'll want to go to rabbifinman.com, R-A-B-B-I-F-I-N-M-A-N.com, and uh, go check out the website. We've got uh, ways to contact me, of course, right on the homepage. Makes it easy. We have archived editions of the show, and we have other ways in which we present other media in which we present Judaism in an interesting and educational way. There's also the very important donations page. We're in the last week of January. We still got November to pay off. We need people like you to help. We need whatever it is that you want to do. If you want to make a $5 monthly donation, that's great. If you want to donate $100,000 also, it's all good. And you can do it right at the website. If you are thinking about $100,000, give me a call first. And uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it. So, at least I want to know who you are. So, uh, go there. It's very important. We've listened now for over 50 minutes. We're getting close to an hour over here. And we've been on for, we're coming up, our, our birthday is next month, is 27 years that we are doing this. And we could not have done it without your help. So, let's let's do it. Let's, uh, it'll be greatly appreciated by you and the other listeners. And you'll feel good that you're listening and not uh, just freeloading. And even if you don't give, you can still listen to the show. It's okay. Don't feel guilty. That's not what I'm trying to do. But <laughs> the station's asking me for money, and I'm passing the request on to you and asking you for money. So you'll be supporting a wonderful cause. The story this week happened in the city of Mezhebouge, which is located many miles east of Gross Point Farms. It was the home of the Mizritcher Magid, the successor to the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. And uh, there was a, a businessman who was very, very ordered, orderly. He spent eight hours a day in business, eight hours a day learning Judaism, and eight hours a day doing everything else. One day he's sitting there learning, and two young people come into the synagogue, teenagers, 20-year-olds, where he's sitting, and he gives them the hello, how are you, shalom aleichem, and asks, what brings you to town? And he, they, look at him like he's got two heads. What do you mean, what brings us to town? The Mizrachimagid. We come here to go to the Rebbe. And it occurs to him that he lives right there in Mizrach, and he's not going to, hasn't, has never met the man. So he says, I got to go meet him. When's he going to meet him, though? Can't go during business. Business is business. So, but to learn, maybe if he goes, and it's a waste of time, so he wasted time from his learning. So he's going to go during the time of his eight hours. So he took away time from his family, basically, yold. And he went, and he liked it, and he kept on going. And he became a follower, and his business started to sour. He didn't understand, and he pinpointed it to when he started coming to visit the Rebbe. So he requested a private audience with the the Mizuchimagid. And he told him his plight. And the Mizuchimagid responded, if there's a Mishnah in the Talmud that says that a person, when they face Jerusalem, when you're supposed to face Jerusalem when, you, when we pray, for obvious reasons, 
that a person who wants to increase in spiritual wealth should incline towards the right because in the temple, the menorah, the candelabra, which represented, which projected light, which represented spirituality on the right side. If a person wanted wealth, well, then they should incline towards the left because that was where the table was with the bread. Bread is the staff of life, the, uh, the ultimate physical. So they incline to the left. He says, now, before you came to me, when you prayed, you prayed to the left. And your business was successful. Now that since you started coming to me, you're thinking the importance of spirituality. So now you're praying towards the right. Your deal, what do you need to do? You need to pray to the right and to the left. And how do you pray facing north and south? It says you have to make yourself like the ark, which was in the middle in the Holy of Holies. Because, as our sages tell us, the ark didn't take up any room. It was measurable. It was two and a half cubits long. But if you measured the ark to, in comparison to the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies was 20. From one end to the ark was 10. From the other end of the ark was 20. The two and a half cubits didn't, didn't measure when you can me- measure it in comparison. How the story ended, we don't know, but that's the end. And that's the end of our show. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. Mishinichnas Adar Marbim Basimcha, increase in joy. And that should be exponentially every single day. Till next week, take care. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.